Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Our current sermon series, Shining the Light, is celebrating 50 years of ministry at Mount Carmel Christian Church, looking back at everything that God has done through us and in us. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. Good morning. Glad you're here today. A couple of years ago, I think I mentioned this already to you, a couple of years ago I was made aware of this little red book little red book titled, One Word That Will Change Your Life. One Word That Will Change Your Life. How many of you remember me talking about that one word book? Yeah, I know, I know. Um, So let me tell you about it again. (laughs) I had my staff go through it. I had my uh, small group go through it. I had my family go through it. It, It's a neat little process. The whole point of the one word that will change your life is that you're to discover a word that will provide focus, will provide uh, really a capturing of what you want to work on, what God has called you to do for the year. And the process begins with listening. You, you begin you know, a season of listening and prayer and asking God, what's my one word? What's my one word, Lord? And out of that rises up a word. And when that word is identified, then you're to share that with people that are close to you, people that can hold you accountable, people that you, can, uh, you know that will remind you of the word and, and kind of ask you about the word. And then after you share that, then you put that one word everywhere you can to remember that, and you begin to make that word your focus for the year. And so instead of having a a resolution that could be many words, you have just one word. It's a great process, it's a great discipline. The first time I did that, uh, my word was cheerleader. Not, hey, hey, no, cheerleader in the sense that I felt God was calling me to be an encourager, to be a cheerleader, to bring joy, to bring uh, a smile to those whom I was connected to. So be a cheerleader to my family, be a cheerleader to my staff, be a cheerleader to the folks that I serve in church, be a cheerleader. This year, my one word is the word shepherd, shepherd, and I've just been captivated by the picture of leadership in the church characterized by the good shepherd. You you can look at the details of what a good shepherd looks like in the Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and you read through that and you see the characteristics of a good shepherd, and I just felt a calling that as we follow Jesus, our good shepherd, We're called to be shepherds in various aspects of our life. If you're in church leadership or not, you're called to be a shepherd somewhere. And so my calling was, my one word was to be a shepherd, to be a good shepherd like Jesus, a good shepherd to, in my marriage, a good shepherd with my children, a good shepherd in my ministry opportunities, as well as being an encourager of the shepherds that I'm connected to, other church leaders, individuals who are called to be shepherds, called to be folks who seek to follow Jesus, the good shepherd, in their walk and to minister to those whom they uh, care for as shepherds. One word will change your life. I highly recommend it. If you want to look online, you can find that. And so we're going through this series, Shining the Light, celebrating 50 years of ministry. And what we're doing is we're looking each Sunday at a decade. And so the first Sunday, we looked at the first decade, second Sunday, the, the second decade. And today, we're looking at the third decade. Next week is the fourth. And then on the fifth Sunday, we're going to kind of celebrate everything and have a celebration worship party. I invite you to encourage you to come. And it's just going to be a lot of fun as we just say thank you, God, for your blessings, for where you've brought us, where we are, and more importantly, where you're taking us. So Mark, July 29th is a special time for that. As I look through the decades, 
I, I began to notice that perhaps each decade could also be captured with one word. Each decade could have one word that really was the theme of that decade in our church history. The first decade, 1968 to 1978, I would say the the word could be faith or believe. Story begins with, with, with six ordinary couples meeting, meeting one cold Sunday for communion out this side. They weren't able to go to church down on Columbia Avenue. They come up with this idea, you know what, it would be great to have a church around us. Let's start a church within our community that we can be a part of. And, and out of that is born the Clough Heights Church of Christ. And, and these young families, these are families in their 20-somethings with, with kids and, and, and really not much resources, but they had a great faith. And they believe, they believe that Jesus is the light of the world. That whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And because of that faith and because of that belief, these young couples did some amazing things in being obedient to that calling. They, they, they acted in, in courageous faith. Some of them put their houses, offered up their houses, young families offered up their houses as collateral to guarantee a loan so they could purchase land so that we could build a church, so that we can have a church within our community. Faith, belief. Last week we talked about the second decade. We talked about 1978 to 1988, and, and I think the word there would have been unity. Remember I discussed how unity is the key that releases the power of God in the church, and the enemy, Satan, loves to undermine the witness of the church by creating division. And 1978 to 1988 was marked by a young church, a young congregation learning to, to take root, learning to establish its witness within the community, and the church struggled with unity. It was a battle. It was a struggle. There were moments when it was touch and go because there was divisions and, and pulling and struggles and everything else that went on. And, and thank the Lord, thank the Lord that first and foremost, church is His idea, Right? It's his bride. It's his work. And by the grace of God, he worked through shepherd, courageous shepherd leaders and the community of faith then, and they made a commitment through that that unity is number one priority for us. And we will be one in our witness. We'll be one in our service of the Lord. Around that time, in 1983, the church took on a new minister. It was uh, their fourth, the fourth minister in our, in our history. His name was Gary Morris, young man and his family were asked to join them in 1983 from West Virginia. And Gary came in and uh, he took on this charge to, to bring about unity. To bring about unity. Now, I know a lot about Gary because Gary just happens to be my father-in-law. One of those young girls that he brought here was the lady I would eventually marry, Shannon. And so I'm intimately involved with the story here. But Gary, my father-in-law, came and he brought unity. And from unity, we see that the church began to really gain momentum. The blessings of God began to pour out. And now we come to the third decade, 1988 to 1998. And, and I think about the word that captures that decade. And, and there are a number I could, I could select. Number one would be purpose. A singular purpose, but purpose that would be captured by the mission of the church. The mission of the church being take the gospel, take the message of Jesus, shine the light of Jesus to the community in a way in which they will receive it and be able to join our church family, bring them into the family of God. 
The other word would be innovation or creativity because as was a season of, of trying out new things, there was a unity in, in purpose which allowed the creativity and the innovation of the church to, to meet people where they are, to not assume that people are going to come into church just because you put a sign out on the road, but instead to recognize that people will come into the church if they're invited and if you remove the barriers that keep them from coming in. They're false assumptions or things that, that are basically easy fixes that you can do in church that make it welcoming and make it open. And so the characteristic of the church, I think, from 1988 to 1998 was mission and purpose innovation. During this time, the church did some amazing things. First of all, uh, in 1988, the church completed a, a major expansion. We kind of, on our Mount Carmel, Tabasco Road, probably we did a, a big build. And we expanded the worship facilities, offering up more seats for more people to come. In 1990, we started what was then known as contemporary worship. Drums and a band in church. Woo it was radical at the time. Radical at the time. And it was cutting edge. And in fact, people were coming from all over to see what we were doing. And it was innovative. And it was scary. But... It was reaching people. Many ministries started and staff were added and, and, and things began to move forward as the church began to grow. In fact, I did some analysis here. From 1983 to 1998, throughout this time, kind of capturing a little bit beyond that, from this momentum of unity to the momentum of launching into innovation, purpose, and mission, the church grew over 400%. We quadrupled in size. In our impact and outreach, folks being part of the church, and the beacon of light of Jesus began to shine brighter through Mount Carmel Christian Church. Now, last week I shared with you an interview that I sat down with with Eldon Howard, Brian McGee, and I. We went down and we sat with Eldon in Atlanta. On the way back, we swung by Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I stopped by my father-in-law's place, and there he lives with his wife Nancy, and they were graciously uh, opened up their home, and 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 I was able to sit down with Gary Morris, and we were able to talk a little bit. We were able to reminisce a little bit. And so like we did with Eldon, we sat down and we asked uh, Gary to share some of his reflections regarding his 16-year ministry, and that is captured here on tape, and I encourage you to give your attention to it and enjoy. You look at the history of the church when it started, and, and it was some pretty visionary things, ordinary folks, but um, you know, when you came, that, that period of season was, was, was really uh, pretty amazing. I mean, we, we call ourselves, Mount Carmel at that time was probably the best kept secret because we, would, they were doing, we were doing some pretty innovative stuff to reach people where they are and make inroads in the community, which actually what is normal for us now is actually was pretty cutting edge and, and innovative then. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that, that has to be said and has to be recognized. Lots of good things happened. A lot of, lot of great people uh, at the church and... Uh, you know, softball, I love playing softball. And uh, of course, when we got going with that and basketball, and of course I have had a few things I had to repent of during the games. <laughs> and uh, Rick and Barb Anderson coming in 1989 was really, uh, that, was, that was kind of a turning point. It was, it was a situation that, uh, you know, I was, I told them I'd been praying for somebody to come along that would change our music program because I mean it was, it was all right, but it was there were times when it was kind of like a dirge more than it was a worship <laughs> service, 
And uh, when, when Rick and Barb came along uh, and we began to move into that zone of uh, contemporary worship and then Randy and, uh, and Eddie Dunn uh, joined the band and made a foursome. They were kind of the original group. Uh, that was a special time to, uh, to remember. But if I had to narrow it, I thought, all right, if I've got to come with one thing that was a really special time, it was a very personal and intimate time with uh, one of the next guys that was added to the musical group. It was Ed Hundley. Hmm. We were back in the baptistry in the changing room for the men, and I asked Ed, I said, you know, Ed, Ed was a real quiet, humble guy, long-haired, hippie guy from uh, West Virginia. And Ed had not been baptized into Christ. Ed, he was in the band, and we were changing clothes. And I said, Ed, is there anything you'd like for me to say to the congregation, you know, as, as we do your baptism? And Ed, in his typical super humble spirit, said, I just appreciate you guys letting me come to church here. And I thought, man, what a spirit that he had and how sad it was that we lost him at such a such an early age. The church grows. It's meant to grow. It was designed to grow. What we have to do is remove the barriers. You said that, and I never forget that. You know, remove the barriers because we tend to have barriers that we impose on the church that uh, restrict its growth. And I yeah. think... Uh, that was a season of removing barriers and opening the doors exactly. and the side doors and everything else. We actually had some churches sending some of their leadership to our services mm -hmm. to see what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how the word got out. It just did. And people came and some were, you know, askance <laughs> and left in shock. And others were, oh, man, you know, you yeah. can do church differently. So, yeah, that was that was that was a good thing. And, I mean... One of the first things that we did was we just paved the parking lot. Hmm. And church attendance picked up that year by about 30%. Isn't that amazing? It, the parking lot. Yeah, that was, a, that was an obstacle because, mm -hmm. you know, the women were wearing high heels still back then. Mm -hmm. And women didn't want to walk through gravel in high heels. So uh, we paved the parking lot, and that was one of the obstacles that we got rid of. Well, I just wanted to <clears throat> say how much we're appreciative of uh, your ministry and how appreciative we are of your work and how appreciative what you did by faith and the courage it took. Just acknowledge that ultimately we, we, we stand on that. We, we, we are a, a next chapter on that whole uh, story and we're blessed by it. So I wanted to thank you for that. Well, appreciate it. And uh, I feel a, the heart of my ministry in life was the 16 years that uh, I spent in Cincinnati. And I want the church to realize just how much they mean to me and uh, how special it was to have been there with them uh, during that period of time. It was uh, very special, very special. And I hope you guys have another 50 years of great work for the Lord. You all have gone. You, you've, the church has taken things to a whole new level now. Uh, the church's influence is way beyond that little neighborhood there where it once was limited to. Mm -hmm. And uh, that says a whole lot about the leadership of the church now and the vision that you all have for uh, reaching out to people wherever they are mm -hmm. and just being instruments of God.
William Temple once said, the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Now, I just want you to think about that for a minute before we move on. Just think about that. The church is the only cooperative society in the world, and this is a biblical truth. The church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. What does that mean? In other words, we are here for those that are not here. Right? When we talk about shining the light of Jesus to our community, it means we're here for those that are not here. That those empty seats that are around you are symbols, are reminders of the fact that there are people that you're connected to, that you are called to work in reaching with God's love, shining the love of Jesus to, and inviting them in. The church is the only cooperative society that exists for the benefit of its non-members. As a church, I believe we need to take from our head, that is in our own mental conviction, to our heart, that is we need to ignite a passion for, to our hands, which means we need to put into action the words of the Apostle Paul where he describes his motivation for ministry. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul had been receiving criticism from the church, like many church leaders do, about how he was going about his ministry. And he unashamedly opens up as to his motive. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Someone accused Gary one time of making church into a dog and pony show. And in the spirit of Paul, he said, you know what? I'll bring the dog and ride the pony if it will bring people to faith in Jesus. And I believe that's the conviction that first motivated our first members, our first pioneers of this church, to do what they do. We heard Charlie Henderson say, our purpose is to share Jesus. And I always remember, Charlie used to say, it's all about the young people, Deed. It's all about the young people. Why? To share the love of God to the next generation. And so I think that means that many times we have to revise our thinking regarding what it means to be part of a church. We have to move away from maybe country club membership where we, we're part of a society that we get benefits from and instead see ourselves as a mission organization that we're not members per se, but we are missionaries. Every single one of us are missionaries. We may not be going to foreign lands, but we are definitely going to foreign opportunities in the world that we live in. 
in our work, in our neighborhood, in our interactions with people on a daily basis. We're called to be missionaries, to meet people where they are and to communicate to them the good news, to shine the light of Jesus. I started coming around this church in 1990. My motivation to come around this church was this uh, good-looking chick I met at Cincinnati Bible College. It was in hermeneutics class. Hermeneutics is how to understand the Bible. She walked in front. I always sat in the back. She walked in the front, and I couldn't take my eyes off her. Like, I went back to the dorm, and, and, and I surveyed the, uh, the student directory. We called it the hit list. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> got a name with the face and engaged conversation. Anyway, I started coming around this church because we started dating. And in that course of time, as things began to uh, grow and progress in our relationship, uh, the family got to know me, and Gary allowed me, as a student at Bible College, to preach one time. And it's interesting, at that time, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, I guess. At that time, I preached a message in which I observed the fact that Mount Carmel is really doing some cutting-edge stuff, particularly in the worship era. But it's important that we forget, we remember that what's innovated today, this contemporary worship that we're doing today, and it's all cutting-edge and awesome, will become regular worship in 10 years. What's innovative today will be old news tomorrow. And the reality is we can't get hung up on what we're doing innovatively, but we must always remain committed to mission because mission is what then prompts us to be able to be creative and innovative to reach people. If we remember that God has called us to, mission, to be missionaries, which means that we need to learn the language, we need to be adaptable to the changing world that we live in and understand that God has called us to reach them in a language that they will understand, and he provides the tools and the opportunities and the, and the things that we need to do that. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. Then we will continue to proceed in pursuing the mission he's given us. We'll continue to grow as one. Not too long ago, I, I read an interesting book. It was about ministry, but the backbone of the entire book was the story of Lewis and Clark. How many are familiar with Lewis and Clark, the story, right? They were charged by President Jefferson to, to find a way to the Pacific after the Louisiana Purchase, I believe. If you're familiar with the story, you know that the story is that when they were traveling on, uh, on the east side of our country, when they were traveling in what they knew, when they were traveling by maps that they had, they saw that the trip had to be a river journey. So they traveled primarily by boat, because that's how you do it. The rivers were the highways of our, our country in those days. The interesting thing is, is that their assumption was is that it was going to take a river journey to go as far as they could to the edge of their map and they assumed that it's also going to be a river journey that was going to take them to the Pacific. They figured they'll cross the east by river and they'll cross the west by river to get to the Pacific. That was their assumption. There was only one problem with that. A little thing called the Rocky Mountains. 
And it's amazing to read the accounts of Lewis and Clark as when they came to the furthest point of, of their maps, when they came to the point where they couldn't go any further on the river, they came up against the Rockies and they went, oh my, oh my, now what do we do? Now what do we do? We thought this was a river journey or discovering it's going to have to be a mountain climb. And it's a great story of innovation. It's a great story of, of leadership. Because in order to fulfill the mandate to, to get to the Pacific, Lewis and Clark applied the lessons they learned, the skills that they acquired journeying on the river, but they applied it then to a new form, to a new way of doing things by climbing the mountains. They climbed the mountains with the oars, as it were. And I think that's a great analogy, a great picture of what we're called to do in generation after generation as a church. How we proceeded and reached our community in one decade doesn't mean that that is how we're going to reach our community in the next decade. And it's arrogant for us to assume that. How we're going to reach our folks around us in the 80s is not going to be the way we reach in the 90s. Now, the message of Jesus does not change. The message of Jesus doesn't change. The purpose, the mission never changes. But our commitment to be missionaries means that we will sometimes be forced to go off our maps. Sometimes we're forced to do things where we apply the leadership skills and we apply what we learned and what God has done with us to bring us here. We apply those skills in seeking to follow him when he takes us there. As I reflect on our journey as a church, I see the same thing going on. Our leadership has been on a journey since 2016. We journeyed to this place, a new chapter, a significant point in which we moved from Mount Carmel, Tabasco Road, to that, from that facility, five acres, maximizing the ministry potential we could there. And God led us to this place, 20 acres, new opportunity, new building. And you're here, and you're part of it, and you're joined in in that and we have more faces and more people here than than we did there and that is the journey that God has brought us so our leadership is also okay now let's not assume on what we did there is going to work than what we're doing here let's let's start seeking God's direction as to how we're to now climb the mountains because we've been going by boat and we're going to have to climb the mountains with oars we're going to have to figure out how God has called us to this new opportunity. And so from 2016 on, our leadership and ministry leaders have been in this conversation with God and conversation with each other and conversation with our community, asking the question, okay, Lord, where, what's next? We're called for mission. Everyone who's part of this church is called to be a missionary. What, what are you calling us to do and how are you calling us to do it? number of things have, have come up. number of what we call uh, initiatives. Our first initiative is that we recognize that in order to, to move on to the next level, the next opportunity of service, we're going to need more shepherd leaders. We're going to need elders and, and ministry leaders and staff. We're going to have folks that, that, that say, yes, I will be a shepherd leader. I'll invest myself in not only doing ministry, but I will also help, help others 
follow Jesus in that. We need to deepen our bench. We need to have more resources. We're at the point where, where just a few can't do a much. We need much to do much more. So there's investments in, in the development of leadership. Second initiative is that we see that over the next four year, five years till 2021, uh, our responsibility is to maximize the resources that we have right here and now. Right here and now. How are we going to be creative and maximizing the building space we've got, the parking space we've got, the place that we're at? There are three things that limit church growth when it comes to what happens here. Three things, right? And Gary talked about one, actually, regarding the parking lot, and it's connected to it. There are three things. There are three Cs. First one is chairs. Chairs in the sanctuary. Second one is children. Space for our children. Space in which we can have ministry to families. And third is cars. Parking spaces. Well, as we've grown... Reality is, is that the chair space has been okay. We're a little tight. The children's space is definitely not okay. We've got a lot of kids, which is awesome. And the cars, while it's okay while we're all here, it's the transition times that gets a little crazy. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's why we have to have a police officer out there, not only to direct traffic, but to perhaps stop any fights. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> And so we're doing a number of things to address the issue of maximizing our resources. First of all, we're in a remodeling phase with the next door with our children's and student area. You may have noticed already we've got a, a new welcome center in the children's area. We're going to be doing one with the nursery, and we're going to expand the way we do uh, those things down there. Upstairs, we have a big storage area that's, that's, that's being uh, made available. We've had that for a while when we first built. We're going to expand the student center providing opportunity for that ministry to occur, as well as some support pieces to go with that. We're also going to be going to three services. September the 9th, three services. First service is going to be at 9, second service is going to be at 10.30, and the third service is going to be at noon. Those of you that like to sleep in, hey, you got the noon service, all right? At that time, we'll have a junior high ministry, 6th through 8th grade of the 1030. We'll have children's ministry for all three services. And our senior high will move to meeting at Sunday night at 6 p.m. We want to maximize the opportunity that God has given us to be right next to that high school, maximize the opportunity to provide something that will connect with our students, our senior high in particular. And so Aaron and his team have come up with a strategy of Sunday night in doing that. Now, we've done the numbers, and we've done the research, and we've done everything else. I want you to know that in order to do ministry, and this is throughout the year, in order to have three services done throughout the year in which we are seeking to do what we do and what we've called to do, to be at our fullest capacity, we have counted that we will need 532 people, 532 missionaries who are fulfilling their calling in any act of service to do the ministry of Mount Carmel, 532. Now, we've already have 320 of you who said, yes, count me in, I'm doing this. That means we still have opportunity for 212. 212. 212 of you who are called to do your part as part of this ministry. Again, you're part of the family. We'll have family responsibilities. Now, we'll let you know more details over the next few weeks, but I'm going to ask that you might stop praying, considering what you might bring to do your part as a missionary 
at Mount Carmel Christian Church. Third initiative is pretty significant. I believe this is our off-the-map opportunity. We see God leading us to be a church characterized by discipleship. That means we have an intentional and, if you want to say, systematic approach in bringing folks in our church where we will be moving all together towards church maturity. In other words, individuals who are dead in Christ, they don't know Jesus, we'll introduce them to Jesus, they'll become babies in Jesus, we'll help them grow up, and the Lord will help them grow up to become children in Jesus, then they will grow up to be young adults or teens in Jesus, to become parents, and as parents, they will be involved in having children and mentoring others. That's what the discipleship call means. That's what it means to be a Jesus follower. The characteristic of a mature Christian is that not that they go to church on a regular basis and and tithe and everything else. Those are, are parts of it. The number one characteristic of a mature Christian is that they are making disciples themselves. They're investing in the lives of others where they say to others, hey, look to me as I follow Christ and you'll see what it looks like and you will grow up as well in Christ and then you too can do the same thing I'm doing. Parents in Jesus. And so we're committed to processes and, and things that we've already started to, to bring you into that. Fourth initiative is to revisit how we're reaching our community, bringing them to faith in Christ. That's a, the, the, the church word evangelism. You know, God has given us unique strengths as a church. Our church is a service church, right? Why do we have 94 people down in Houston? Because God, I believe, has called our people and equipped our people to go. Not only are the ones that are going, but all of us that are here, a lot of us are sending, right? We supported them with finances and, and gifts and, and prayers. That's, that's a calling for us. Well, the question is, and how do we, we, we see that? How do, how do we use that? How is that a way in which we can shine the light of Jesus to invite others to meet Jesus as we love on them and they bring them from, from wherever they are on that faith continuum I'm talking about to the next level, to bring them to a deeper faith in Christ? We're a church characterized by warmth and hugs. We're a church characterized by commitment to the Word of God. We, we're a community of, of learners and, and livers out of Scripture. We're going to look into say, okay, how do we use those gifts that God has given to us, unique to us, in a way to engage our community so that they too might become Jesus followers? And it's not going to be the same in many ways and the things that we've done in the past. It's not to poo-poo on the things of the past. It's to recognize that sometimes the things that bring us here are the things that are going to take us there. And as missionaries, we have a calling to be flexible and to lead. Final initiative is our commitment to prayer. This is Jesus' church. We operate by his power, his word, his will. Prayer is how we continue to stay in that place. And prayer is something that everyone who is a part of Mount Carmel can do. You don't have to have any kind of special training or whatever. Everyone has the opportunity to pray. Pray that Mount Carmel Christian Church will grow. Pray for God to speak to you about his assignment for you in the mission. Pray for our leaders that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. We need more uh, harvesters. Pray that the work uh, that we do to maximize our current ministry resources will be done with wisdom and skill. Remodeling of the student areas and the children's areas. Pray for the third service. Maybe how God's calling you to do your part in that opportunity. Pray for our work to be a church, to be fully committed followers of Jesus, to be disciples. 
Pray that we might reach our neighbors with the light of Jesus. Pray that we take from our head to our heart to our hands the words of Jesus, the words of the Apostle Paul regarding his ministry. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am self not under the law. So as to win those under the law, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under God's Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. We stand and let's pray together. Members of our prayer team, guys are going to be up front. They're going to be available to pray with you in person. We have a special opportunity to witness a baptism. A dad is going to be baptizing his daughter. Zoe's going to be baptized. And so I encourage you, after we uh, are done with our time, to, to hang out and to be witness of that and enjoy that. But let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the mission that you've given to us. And we thank you that we stand on the on the shoulders of some courageous, faithful people. Moments in the journey when it was tough and hard, but we're thankful for your grace in filling the gaps. I pray that you'd help us remember that we're not necessarily members, we're called to be missionaries, and that kind of gives a purpose to our membership of this church and help us all to understand what that calling is. I thank you so much for your invitation You're inviting us to be part of this great work, and I pray that you help us to have the courageous faith to be faithful, to be flexible, to be innovative, to understand that many times we might have to go off the map in the way we reach our community. Why? Because that's where people are now, and you call us to reach people with the good news of Jesus. Thank you for what we're about to witness, the baptism of Zoe. We pray that uh, you will bless her. As she grows, I know she's nervous about this moment, so I just pray that you calm her and her dad and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.